Shalom, welcome to the Jewish Spotlight. Tonight we're going to have a program about a very solemn, very interesting, very spiritually riveting subject. Something that I think you're going to be very curious about, and I'm sure it's something that you never heard or saw anything about before in your life. You know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was and still is the greatest Jewish leader that the world has seen since the times of Moses. A person who had such scope as far as leadership was concerned, who saw the whole world as a very small globe where goodness and, and morality, where Torah values could be brought to literally every single corner of the globe. And of course, he was the motivating force behind hundreds and then thousands and then hundreds of thousands of people coming closer to their Judaism, being more involved in traditional lifestyle. And non-Jews also coming closer to what we call the seven Noahide laws to feel the importance of morality and became a religious figure of a, of a height that has never been seen, perhaps since the times of Moses. As a result, today, as many of you know, as those, of course, who have seen the Jewish spotlight before know, that Lubavitch now has over 2,500 centers throughout the world, over 3,500 representatives literally dedicating their lives day and night to being able to bring the light of Torah, the education of morality and of mitzvot, of commandments of God, to all of humanity. And as a result, the Rebbe has always been looked at as a soul that was once, of, not only a generation, but once in a century, perhaps in a millennium. And when the Rebbe's physical body passed on in 1994, of course it was a time of tremendous, tremendous grief for the Jewish and even part of the non-Jewish world. Grief because here we had lost a person who was of a stature of leadership for the Jewish world, whose word meant so much, whose insights had brought so much to the lives of so many thousands and even millions of people, and whose wisdom and whose, whose spiritual prowess was something on a stage or on a level that nobody had been able to, to match whatsoever. Well, when the Rebbe passed away, physically, his spiritual presence was still felt very, very strongly. But as Jewish tradition outlines, and this is a tradition that goes back, again, thousands of years back to the times of Moses, that the place where a tzaddik, the tzaddik is the Hebrew word for a very righteous individual, the place where a tzaddik is buried is considered to be holy ground, ground which is considered to be not only sacred, but ground which is a, a very special place to be able to bring our prayers, our requests, our outpouring of our heart before God in order to be able to, to feel that sense of oneness with God that so many of us yearn for and want to be able to touch in some way in our lives. In order to understand more about this, and it's a very difficult subject sometimes to understand, but it's a very meaningful, very deep, very personal subject for myself and for hundreds of thousands of Jews around the world. We're going to have with us tonight a very special rabbi, an individual who is the director of the Chabad Center that is located by what is called the Ohel. The Ohel is the place where the Rebbe's body rests. And this is a very holy site of tremendous significance to the Jewish world and of tremendous personal significance to millions, as we'll find out. It's a pleasure to have with us tonight Rabbi Abba Refsen, the director of the Chabad House of the Oil, Rabbi Refsen, it's very, very, it's a real pleasure and an honor to have you with us tonight. Thank you, Rabbi Talvin. 
What we're going to do tonight, as I'm sure you're well prepared, we're going to be talking about the meaning of the oil to you personally and to the thousands of Jews that you meet on a weekly, monthly basis, on a yearly basis, who come to visit the oil. What, in your opinion, does the oil represent to all these hundreds of thousands of people who come to visit this area of the world every single year? In a large way, it represents what the Rebbe represented his whole life. Mm -hmm. People came to the Rebbe uh, for inspiration, uh, for spiritual guidance, and after the Rebbe's passing, people come to the Rebbe's resting place to receive inspiration and spiritual guidance. People come in person, and if they can't come in person, they'll communicate uh, by a fax, phone, and email. Now, by fax, meaning that they will write a letter, They'll and the letter that. will be faxed over, because of course they can't necessarily get over to you from all corners of the globe, especially if there are emergencies or, or personal emergencies, medical emergencies, things they want to supplicate to God for special blessings. So they'll fax their, their requests to you. Correct, right. People from all over the, all over the world. Right. The fax machine operates 24 hours a day because of the various time zones. And uh, it's people from all walks of life who either come or, as we said, send faxes. Okay, now I, I just want to mention to our audience also why Rabbi Refson ends up being the, so to say, the representative to be able to be the one to bring the supplications of, of individuals from throughout the world to the Rebbe's gravesite and be able to personally deliver it. The reason is because after the Rebbe's passing, physically, there were thousands of people who stayed at the gravesite, feeling the longing towards being connected to the Rebbe's soul and wanting to be part of, 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 of the connection that was there, the spiritual dynamism and the energy, and to want to, to stay in that hiskashus, that connection to the Rebbe. Well, slowly but surely, one by one, people left the cemetery until it came to the point that there was one person who refused to leave the cemetery, and that was Rabbi Refson. As a result, immediately arrangements were made for a, I believe it was a mobile home that was brought to the cemetery, and which he stayed in for a number of months, and then eventually, of course, a house, which was the closest house to the actual gravesite of the Rebbe, was purchased, and that, of course, became the Chabad Center. Now, before we go any further, what I'd like to do is be able to show the tape so people will see and have an idea of what we're talking about, because, right. of course, this is a very new topic for many people. Yeah. Exactly, what is, what is this oyo, what is this place that we're talking about? And, of course, we're going to show a little tape which was made by Rabbi Shalom Lipsker, who ends up Chabad in Florida, who made somewhat of a pilgrimage for uh, tens, if not, I think it was maybe 50 people, one time 60 people, another time, yes. of course, many hundreds who have come from all parts of America and thousands from all over the world, to be part of this experience. This particular tape, I think, was for a particular Jewish holiday. Was it the Rebbe's Yorzeit? Yes. It was the anniversary of the Rebbe's passing away. So let's show this tape so you'll see the inside of the oil, a little bit of the dynamics and what exactly we'll be talking about during the course of this show tonight. We're going to give a little bit of an ongoing commentary also about the, uh, what's going on here. So the Russian, tell us what's going on here. Uh, at the Rebbe's anniversary of the Rebbe's passing, Thousands and thousands of people want to be present at the Rebbe's gravesite on that day. Uh, so you could see in the shop before, you saw the lines. People Long taking off their people. shoes, what are they doing there? Uh, people take off their shoes because it's a sign of respect before entering the holy place. Okay. It dates back to the time of Moses. 
Right, now this is the actual this is grave site. Grave site area. The two, can you explain what you see? The, the two headstones. The one on the left is the rabbit's uh, resting place. On the right is his father-in-law, uh, the previous rabbit's resting place. Um, you see people reading the notes that they wrote, notes of requests uh, to the rabbit. Then they tear the notes and they place them on the grave site area. Uh, and they also pray. Uh, prayer in this holy place uh, is considered uh, more receptive on high. Now we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but the, the building itself is very small. Maybe you could fit perhaps a maximum of 50 people inside the oil at any one time. Correct, yes. Now you see there are the thousands of notes, the, the sense of, of, of total dedication, a sense of peace, a sense of, of real... I don't know the word to use, if there are any words that could describe the feeling a person has when they're in the oil itself. But you see there are thousands and thousands of notes from people from all over the world who come and submit this publication. You see here the tombstones also, which give a description of this, these great sadiqim, these great rebbes and the righteous leaders, who they are and what they represent to us and to all of the Jewish people. Okay. All right, Rabbi Epson, I was uh, very interested. Now, I want to ask you a question. When a person comes to the Oyo and they're praying, why do we need to pray at the Oyo? What is special about praying in the place where a tzaddik, such a righteous person, is buried? As many Jewish people know, we go, let's say, to the cemetery before Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year. We go at various times during the day. This is something that takes back for thousands of years with, with just regular families, you know, totally non-religious families that could live out here in the suburbs, go to the, the cemetery before a holiday because this is a time of praying to God in a place of somebody who is special to them. Now, especially, of course, the place of a tzaddik, of somebody of the Rebbe's stature, is an extra special place. Why? And what are people doing there? Are they praying to God? Are they asking the Rebbe to, to, to deliver their prayers? What, what are the dynamics? Well, as you said before, um the resting place of a holy person, actually any resting place, any gravesite, uh, the residue of the soul is believed to rest, hover over the gravesite. Uh, what do you mean the residue of the soul? Well, there's a, there's a level of the soul, actually in, the, in Kabbalah and Jewish mysticism it explains it's the highest level of the soul. The highest level remains connected Remain, to the physical body. Because the body was the carriage, was the means that the soul reached spiritual heights. Uh, because during the person's lifetime, the person did good deeds, which led the soul to be elevated. That's why the highest level of the soul okay. stays uh, where the body was So interred. by visiting, a person in a certain degree becomes connected so, in, in, the, in the environs of the essence of the soul. Correct. Now... This applies much more so when you talk about a holy person, the spiritual quality of the soul that's in the, uh, the gravesite of a holy person is very intense. And that's the reason, because the place is so permeated with the holiness of the soul, that people come there to pray. And they feel that by praying at such a place, their prayers are heard on high in the okay. merit of the soul that's resting there. Okay, so they're praying to God with praying the, to God the merit of... In the merit of the righteous person. That's, okay, now that's, people also, of course, when we go to the, the place of a tzaddik, it's a custom going back 
again, thousands of years, just like people will write a letter to God at the coastal and put it into the wall. This in a different way. What are we doing? We're sitting down. There's a, a large area, for those who might have visited the oil, would know that there's a large tent, literally, which is right in back of the Chabad house with a courtyard. And people come there, and they will sit and very pensively and very with a, a tremendous amount of introspection, sometimes some tears or some joy, depending on what they're writing about, write what's called a pan, a pidyon nefesh, which is a personal letter of, of soul redemption, a soul letter, really, that they're writing to God. Now, what is the nature of that? That letter is addressed to the Rebbe. Yeah, the, that, that's a, a, another aspect of visiting the gravesite of a tzaddik. Okay, can you explain um, that? It dates back to the biblical times when Joshua, when he came into Israel uh, for the first time, he came before everyone else, it says he went straight to the gravesite of the patriarchs to of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob okay. to pray there and to ask of them to intercede on his behalf that he should be successful in his mission uh, in Israel. Okay. Subsequently, throughout the generations, uh, Jews go to the gravesites of holy people, specifically of holy people who they were connected to, asking them to intercede on their behalf. So instead of speaking directly to God, they are asking the spirit of this holy person to intercede on their behalf on high. And this is done, the custom is that it's done through letter form. That's why people write the letter. They ask of the the Rebbe, the Rebbe's spirit, to intercede on their behalf, take the letter, and, and beseech before the heavenly throne. Right, so I think it's important also to emphasize that this is a, a Jewish custom that goes back thousands of years. It's not something unique or different that is just right. happening because it's back to biblical times. Right, back to yeah. biblical times. In fact, I think the, the point you're making about Joshua is really brought down in Rashi, one of the famous commentaries of the Torah, where he quotes that and he brings that, up that yeah. point that, uh, that Joshua, in fact, did that. And he went to the Kibbutz Adikim, to the, to the graveside of the patriarchs. Now, I want to bring up another point, which I think you might uh, catch some people by surprise, and that is that I've seen myself, and I've heard, of course, many situations where people from literally all walks of life, you know, looking at this film that we saw, you might think that, well, it's just for Orthodox Jews. Well, that happened to be on the actual yurt side of the Rebbe, where thousands of Lubavitcher Hasidim and very Orthodox Jews might be going particularly that day, because the, the yurt side, the anniversary of his passing, has a very special significance. However, the fact is, during the course of the year, and you know this better than anybody, right. you have literally people from all walks of life who are coming. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about, about the draw of this holy site to people from all walks of life, Jewish, not Jewish, religious, non-Jews, and people you know, from the most surprising. My son was there once on a Shabbos. He saw a Buddhist in an orange saffron robe come there in order to visit because he had heard cool. that this is the site of a holy tzaddik, of a holy man's burial, and he knew how, how powerful a place this would be. So give us an idea of the kinds of visitors you get to the Chabad house who are coming to the oil. Well, as you said, there's people literally from all walks of life, Jews and non-Jews. What draws them there? I don't know. Primarily, I would say, I was say I don't know, for a variety of reasons. Primarily, people have heard of the rabbi during his lifetime. They want to come and pay their respects, and they want to pray at this holy place. And people of all walks of life have heard of the rabbi, and that's why they come. Many people who've never heard of the rabbi, 
but have heard from people who've been at the Rebbe's gravesite and have been deeply impacted by the experience that they've had there, um, they hear about it and they want to come and see what it's all about, and then they come again and again and bring right. more people. Now, you've you've talked to many of these people, I'm sure, afterwards. What kind of emotional reactions do these people, do most people, get from the experience of going to the oil? That varies too. It's I'm very sure hard to sure gauge spir- spiritual right. impact. But That's very true. It's very hard to gauge spiritual impact, but they come out deeply moved, feeling a presence of spirituality at this place. It can cause emotion, the emotion could express itself in tears, in joy, in a variety of ways. I mean, I've spoken to, as you said, I've spoken to many people, and people are impacted in different ways, but they're all impacted. Well, the amazing thing is that people normally think of a place of prayer as you go to a, a house of worship. And so this is something that's so unusual for people to go to pray in what people would normally just call a cemetery. But of course, this little cubicle within the cemetery is, is so intense in certain ways. You go in, as you walk in, there are many candles that are lit. You take, as, you, as we saw in the film, you take your shoes off. Inside, there are some people that are, that, are, that are shuckling back and forth, shaking back and forth, because it's traditional when we pray to put our whole body into it. There's some people who are crying, literally crying, because they, they're literally, they feel a safe little place in the world where they can literally pour their heart out to God and, 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 and ask the Rebbe to, to supplicate on high for them in a way that they would perhaps never do anyplace else. Right. And that's, that's really, I think, like you said, the unique part of it, that it, it draws something out. You feel that connection. You feel there's something, and it's really indescribable. Right. I mean, I, there, there have been some occasions of people who come, for example, uh, a TV cameraman who didn't come actually to pray or to receive any spiritual sustenance, but just they told me after they came out that they felt the intensity of the holiness of the place. Yeah, in fact, that happened with me also. I brought a Newsday photographer there and reporter, and the photographer told me afterwards, and he does all types of photography, he said that in his years of photography, he's never seen a place that has such an intense light. There was no special lighting in there, but he just felt as a photographer with the eye for light that there was a very special type of light that he identified there. Just another thing I want to mention as well, which will put things into a little perspective, that, of course, we know in Judaism that we believe that Israel, as is the belief of, of many, many religions, that Israel is the Holy Land. Why? Because Israel is considered to be the holiest place in the world. The land itself has a holiness. In Israel itself, Jerusalem is considered to be the holiest. In Jerusalem itself, the Harabais, right by where the temple was built near where the Western world is today, is considered to be the holiest. And on Harabais, on the Temple Mount itself, of course, the section where the rock is, where the Holy of Holies would stand, is considered to be the holiest of that. So we have this, this belief of different types of levels of holiness of different places in the world. This is why very often we will travel to Jerusalem specifically in order to be able to, to bring our prayers to God. But of course, for, for many of us, going to the Rebbe is like going to the Holy of Holies. It's like going to the Temple Mount. It's like being literally in that special place where, where heaven and earth meet and where you have that combination of the two to the point where, where the, you know, it's not a long-distance phone call, as the joke goes. You, know, you don't have to pay a lot of money to, to be able to connect because it's very, very 
very easy almost to touch that spirituality. And people constantly, constantly walk away feeling that. And that's really an, an amazing type of, of experience. And I would, of course, encourage anybody to, to try to experience it. Do you have any stories you can tell us about different people and, and their own personal experience? I know there have been many, many stories of people who have come to God to ask for blessings and ask the Debit to supplicate for them for what would, in terms of nature, be considered to be absolute miracles. And their prayers have been answered. And they attributed directly, of course, to experiences at the river. I've had experiences myself at the, at the oil of, of answers. Things in life have happened as a result and almost immediately, if not, if not very soon afterwards, that can only be attributed to something very unique and special that's happening at the oil. That's, that's there because of the connection with the river. Anything you can share with us as far as types of experiences that people have? Well, as I said before, the main... You mentioned the, the miraculous aspect, the people's supplications are heard, the people's requests are answers, that miracles happen um, in terms of health. People ask for, for speedy recoveries, right. and they recover from the illnesses in miraculous ways, and uh, a host of other uh, miracles. But the most, it, to me, the most powerful uh, area that you see is the personal impact of standing in the presence of such spirituality and seeing people impacted in such a powerful way. Uh, just last night, someone was telling me that he, he he'd just come out of the oil. He told me he was driving with his family and they were getting lost in the dark streets on the way. If anyone knows Cambria Heights, it's uh, some of the, there's some dark streets. And when he he came to the Ohel, he prayed, and when he came out, he, he told his family, we just came and it was dark, and now I feel so light. I feel the intensity, the spirituality. My whole life has been brightened up by this experience. And many uh, tell of these experiences. Interesting. Now, Rabbi Refsen, also, of course, in addition to people coming to the, the to the Chabad house in order to be able to just visit, not just, but in order to visit the Yohel, you have, of course, sometimes 50, 100, sometimes 1,000 guests spending the Sabbath with you or the Jewish holidays or special Hasidic holidays. Right. Of course, the uh, you, you know, there have been a number of houses that have been brought over there, a number of different things going on, meetings and different things. Of course, there's no community building there and there's no plans of building any type of community there, but there are, because of its holiness, people like to, to congregate there and to, to get together to continue the Hasidic tradition and to, to make that special connection to the river, whether it be a Hasidic for bringing, or whether it be any types of meetings. So I'm sure there, you know, besides taking care of people and helping them understand the experience and if they have questions for you concerning what the, the proper way to approach such an intense spiritual experience, you also have a lot of other things going on as well. Yeah, so correct. I'm sure that keeps you very busy. It does, yes. As I said, I mean, Shabbos, uh, Hasidim, uh, who want to spend the Shabbos uh, you know, at this holy place, obviously you can't, uh, you can't drive on Shabbos. So people actually stay in the vicinity uh, there's a uh, there's a few houses that we purchase in the area um, where people stay, and sometimes on very busy times on a special occasion, a special Jewish holiday, hundreds and sometimes over a thousand people have stayed. Right. In uh, we have there's a public school nearby where people stay. Right, which is really wonderful. I think also it's uh, 
It's just uh, credit should be given where credit is due that Rabbi Joseph Goodlick, who's a great philanthropist from Australia, really has done an unbelievable service to the whole Jewish community by being the supporter of so many of the activities that they all I mean, no, just in terms of the food for Shabbos or in terms of the houses that are there to accommodate so many people to be able to have this experience. It's really right. a, a, a wonderful, wonderful mitzvah that he's, he's done for so many people. Right. He actually purchased the houses and Right, and I understand. Them. Right. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you uh, one last question on a, on a personal level, if you don't mind. Okay? I often wondered... What went on inside your mind when you decided that you weren't leaving the Rebbe's gravesite, that you weren't going to, to check out, so to say, like everybody else did? What was it that, that drove you to say, I'm, I can't leave my father, I can't leave my, my Rebbe, I have to, to stay here? Can you explain to our audience just a little bit of that sense? I, of course, I can't get into the innermost feelings of a chassid's you know, feeling towards his Rebbe, but what, what was it that, that you can share with us far as what made you decide not to leave the spot. And of course it was years and years before you even left the spot whatsoever, staying in the Chabad house and serving and helping out with all the activities and programs and people who would come to visit. Well, as you said, it's, it's a connection of a chassid to the rabbi. Uh, every chassid has a deep connection with his rabbi and therefore there was, I don't believe there's a unique connection uh, between me and the rabbi than any other chassid. But it was a feeling that you know, the rabbi was interred here and one wants to be close. Uh, I was a yeshiva student at the time and yeshiva students always, besides being connected to the rabbi in a spiritual way, they wanted to be close to the rabbi in a physical way. They were always in close proximity to the Rebbe. The Shiva was right. uh, in Crown Heights, <coughs> which was where the Rebbe lived, and the Rebbe's synagogue was there. Um, so I guess maybe it was that. And besides that, there was also a very the aspect I saw from the beginning. There were so many people coming, people from all walks of life, and people who were not affiliated uh, specifically with religion, and they. They didn't know what to do. Perhaps just out of curiosity. They were coming and you wanted to make sure somebody should be there full time to be able to take care of their needs. Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you for that answer. Now I have one more, one more question of my life answered. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Rabbi Rafson. I, uh, I really appreciate thank you joining us and uh, being with us and sharing the, uh, the incredible strength and, and inspiration and power of, of the experience of the oil with our audience. And I hope that everybody out there will will really uh, see it in the perspective that it's meant to be taken. It's a very holy site. The fact is that we have this site very close to Long Island. It's on the Long Island border with Queens. It's right off the Southern State, right off the Cross Island Parkway, and very easily accessible. We have a phone number, in fact, also, if anybody's interested, if we could put up that phone number for people to be able to call, to speak to Rabbi Refson, or to fax to him, or to just have that experience in whatever way it might be meaningful. So if we could put that up, the phone number, of course, is 718 718- 723-4545 or the fax number is 718-723-4444 so it's really an experience that I would re- strongly recommend to everybody to be able to have that one time of, of praying whether it be Jewish or non-Jewish to pour your heart out and realize and experience the specialness of this place in the meantime I want to wish everybody a, uh, a good evening and please 
think a little bit about what the power of a tzaddik soul can be. And let's hope the time will come soon when Mashiach will come, we will have Tachir Samesim, and we'll be able to all be reunited in Jerusalem with all of our tzaddikim and all of our great leaders once again. Shalom. Good night. Sim, 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 sim,